You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, how I've missed you. It's been such a long time, like yesterday and stuff. And I do apologize for uh, not doing the podcast and whatnot. I um, just had decisions to make. And I made a decision. Did that decision have anything to do with the fact that I was really close to finishing Ozark? I don't know. We don't really need to talk about that. By the way, come to find out, um, Ozark isn't done. It's just part one of the final season, which um, I had an absolute heart attack this morning when I finally finished it. Quote, unquote, finished it. I almost died. I, I almost ran my car right into a ditch. Just, just marched out to my car and I looked at my windshield, and it was all iced up, and I said, you know what? I'm going to wing it, because I just don't care anymore. I'm not scraping nothing. Where's Ruth going? What's, what's she going to do? I mean, they, they, no, no answers to any questions. Everything's wide open. I was also trying to figure out, how in the world do you, do you resolve everything right here? I'm just thinking there's going to be a bloodbath. I literally, I mean, I'm, no spoilers. I'm just saying. I understand you're still watching. By the way, I binged all four seasons, because I, I don't know if I mentioned that or not. Um, I did. It was, it was a great time, but, um, I'm, I'm watching and I'm like, there is like, there's like 10 minutes left. And, um, the only way I see out of this is everyone's just going to die. Like there's just going to be a massacre, but, um, that, you know, it's not over. So there you go. Uh, anyways, today is largely going to be talking about coaches because we did have some very big news everybody's best friend uh, rich bisaccia which by the way i told you i was not going to learn the man's name until we hired him well we hired him and you pronounce his name bisaccia which i guess i it's always one of those things where once you find out it's like how, i should have known that like how did i not know that that makes that makes the most sense and i chose to go with the thing that makes less sense for some reason i don't know why i think there's a part of me in my brain that looks at it and says i'm not going to say the one that makes sense just out of like rebellion like that looks confusing and i'm going to say it a stupid way because that's what I feel like doing. Default to phonetics, I guess. American phonetics. But uh, he was hired, I believe it's officially official, as the uh, special teams coordinator. They haven't updated it yet on their website, but that is my understanding, as he will be, uh, he'll be the guy. So as of right now, Matt LaFleur is our head coach. Adam Stenovich is our offensive coordinator. Jason Vrabel is the wide receiver slash passing game coordinator. Luke Butkus is the offensive line coach. Uh, the tight end coach is John Dunn. Running back coach is still Ben Sermons. Then you have assistant quarterback coach Connor Lewis. So we still have a quarterback coaching um, vacancy as far as I know. Whether or not Connor Lewis gets a promotion or we find somebody else, I don't know how that all works out. Assistant offensive line coach Ryan Mahaffey. Offensive quality control coach is Tim Zetz. Coaching assistant 
in the Minority Fellowship is Ruvel Martin. Ruvel Martin? I was going to say, I know that name. He's a wide receiver. Played for, the, uh, played for a lot of teams, but played for the Packers from 2005 to 2008. So that's kind of cool. Um, anyways, we'll get into that. Well, no, let's just do it now, because I'm probably not going to go through all these, because they're not all that interesting. But he played for the Chargers 2004-2005, Amsterdam Admirals 2005, Green Bay Packers. He was all all over the place in 2005, from 2005 to 2008 with the Green Bay Packers. Then he was with the St. Louis Rams 2009, Seattle Seahawks 2010, Buffalo Bills 2011-2012, and uh, has been away since uh, 2020 when he joined the Green Bay Packers as the Minority Coaching Fellowship. So I'm I'm behind the times. I, I don't remember seeing him on here. I don't know. I guess I just didn't notice or it wasn't listed. I don't know. Anyways, defense, Joe Barry, defensive coordinator. Jerry Gray is the defensive back slash passing game coordinator. Jerry Montgomery, D-line coach. Kirk Olavadotti is the inside linebacker coach. Mike Smith, outside linebackers. Ryan Downard is the assistant defensive backs coach. Wendell Davis, defensive quality control coach. And Justin Hood, defensive quality control coach. Special teams, again, Rich Pisaccia is going to be the coordinator. And presumably, assistant special teams coach will remain Raina Stewart. And then we got strength and conditioning is uh, the coordinator, Chris Gizzy, strength and conditioning assistant, Thaddeus Jackson, strength and conditioning assistant, Mark Lavat, strength and conditioning assistant, Grant Thorne. So that is going to be the full makeup again once we get the official word on the special teams coordinator, or at least it's officially official uh, as announced by the Green Bay Packers. And I think the only remaining um, quarterback or position is the quarterback coach, I believe. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules with with this stuff. You can kind of do whatever you want. But I wanted to highlight a couple different things. And, and one of the things I wanted to start with, um, Packers.com had had a couple different things as far as videos, introdu- introducing a few of these different guys. So I just wanted to play a little bit of that and kind of hear some things from their own mouth as we continue on. The first one, Adam Stenovich. This is Stenovich one-on-one becoming offensive coordinator. The thing that I really like about this, as well as the interview with Butkus, who we're going to look at a little bit, is that once again, I think we, we put way more into this than we should, or, or, or that or teams put less into this than they should. But I, we always look at these things, and the same is true with Basaccia, which, you know, everybody's building up Basaccia to be the savior, and then a lot of people, which what we're going to be doing a little bit today is sort of tearing that narrative down, but then also looking at it and saying, it doesn't matter, none of this matters anyways. But the biggest thing with both of these is just the idea that, I don't know, man, I'm just, you know, nothing's really going to change. It's not that big of a deal. You know, you get an offensive coordinator in there and the assumption is like everything changes and and their past success is automatically going to be applied to us. And if they were good over there, they're going to be great over here. And, you know, now that we have a, 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 a an offensive line coach as an, as an offensive coordinator, you know, we're going to run the ball a ton and our offensive line is going to be like elite. Because again, we think of things as like Madden. So with an offensive line coach as your offensive coordinator, you get like a bonus to your offensive line. That's a video game, though. That's not, that's not what happens in real life. So one of the things I will say, if anybody over in the Green Bay Packers organization listens to this podcast, please stop putting this freaking music over all your videos. And if you're going to do that, I mean, at least, at least learn some basics about this, because the, the, the music is louder than these people's voices. It's really annoying. And not just because I want to put it on my podcast. It's like, this is basic stuff. It's really basic stuff. Like, I, I, I'm not an audio engineer. I don't know how all this stuff works. But I Googled it. And Google told me, like, generally you want your, your voice DBs to be about here. And the music DB should be about here. Like, okay, got it. 
And so I just kind of shoot for that. There's also just programs that'll do it automatically. Like, what is it called? Ducking? Where you can just have the music duck. So whenever there's like voices talking, the music automatically goes down to the level it should be to be lower than the... It's just, it's so... So anyways, I'm going to play the audio, but there's going to be some really loud, annoying music. And hopefully you can hear their voices over this stupid music. What changes in regards to your duties? Um, I think... Obviously, the run game side will still kind of be the same with all that stuff. And then uh, just being more involved in the passing game, um, you know, passing a lot of the, the stuff off to Coach Buckets up front, which I'm super fired up about, um, you know, giving him that opportunity. He's earned it. He's done a great job the last three years. But just being a little bit more involved in the passing game. Okay. So, again, it's just funny hearing from his perspective what's actually different about things. Like, what's different? Well, just, you know... Uh, I basically was like the, uh, I basically already was the offensive coordinator. I just didn't handle any of the passing stuff. I, I, you know, helped with everything, including offensive line and everything involving the run game. I just was left out of the passing stuff. Now I'm just going to be adding in passing stuff, but doing the same job. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's it. That's the answer. What changes as far as your role? I'm just going to be doing more passing stuff. Otherwise nothing really changes. Huh? Got it. You know what I mean, though? I mean, we make such a big deal about this. This is, this is massive. This is just, this is unbelievable, the, the magnitude of the difference and everything that he's going to be doing. And like, it's a whole new universe, a whole new world. And you listen to him describe it and you, you would expect him to answer like, oh man, it's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge and I'm going to be taking on a massive role. And I, you know, I'm going to have to learn this playbook inside and out. Whereas before I just had to be like, oh, push him, you push, you fat boy, push him. I don't know why he's like a Mongolian guy all of a sudden, but I'm just saying. It's like a Japanese Hulk. Um, he's going from that to, you know, Matt LaFleur. Like, he has to be this ultra-brainiac play caller, all this stuff. And But no, that wasn't his answer. His answer is, yeah, you know, gotta gotta focus on passing a little bit now. Not just running. Like, basically, I was half an offensive coordinator. Now I gotta be all offensive coordinator. And just like a little bit of the grunt work that um, I used to have to do as far as run game, I can just pass off on the offensive line coach. So it's not even necessarily more work. I'm just, I'm adding passing game work, but deflecting a lot of the, you know, grunty run game stuff onto the offensive line coach to let him handle that. It takes a little of the romanticism out of it. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit there's some, something fun about it, about being a fan and just overreacting to everything. And it's just part of what I do. I overreact to stuff. I react to people overreacting. I tell people to relax and then I overreact. And it's just a, just a pile of emotion and just screaming and fighting and flailing. And it's kind of fun, but it's also kind of silly. And this is, this is how they operate all the time. And again, maybe part of this is them just being like, maybe you should step up your game a little bit and care a little more. But at the same time, there's also an element of them just being like, I don't know, dude, it's not, it's not, as, it's not as big of a deal as you're making it out to be. Like, I know how to do this. I know, I know the offense. I know football. I've been immersed in football and this system since forever. I know this offense. I know this team. I know, I know the job. I can do the job. I'm just doing different stuff. So just chill out. So that was my uh, most interesting takeaway from this. And it, it, I can't even describe if it makes me feel more or less comforted. Because on one hand, you look at it and it's, you want to believe that this guy's even more immersed in it and he's going to make this offense even better. But there's another part of me that's like, what if this guy sucks? What if he's, what if Hackett was a genius and this guy's like a mediocre guy or whatever? And this just kind of takes away the extremes from both ends. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, it'll be all right. Which is not as much fun, but it's just kind of the way that they react to everything. 
But here is the response um, to a similar question. I kind of talked about how the offense is going to change and all that, and there's going to be all these drastic things. And again, it's just not the answer that I think we expect. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to bring a new flavor, or this is going to be... Da, and then, and just, just listen to how he answers this question. Okay, what changes in perhaps your offense? Do you have a, a couple tweaks you want to put in? Um, we're always going to evaluate and uh, look to change, you know, anything that we can, anything that we think we can improve. So that's going to be the biggest thing this offseason, just evaluating what we've done the last few years and just how we can be better, um, you know, because you've always got to be evolving. So, again, it's very just nothing, you know? We always want these deep answers and everything, and maybe it's it's a part of it is just being coy, and maybe part of it is this is brand new, and he hasn't even been in the meeting room yet, so he's not really sure what's going to change because they still have to do that work. they got to sit down. they got to figure things out. And, yeah, maybe an offensive line guy is going to look at him and be like, mm, I don't know, maybe we run the ball a little bit. That'd be kind of crazy, right? I don't know if you know this. we got this, like, 250-pound freaking horse on our team. I bet he'd do a good job. I don't know. Just saying. Just something to think about. Anyways, one final thing that I wanted to play uh, the very next question, which I just, I I thought this was pretty hilarious, and let's see if you can pick up on it. Have you talked to Aaron Rodgers since becoming offensive coordinator? Uh, yeah, yeah, so everything's good. Um, you know, it's been, it's been great. Tell me. <laughs> Where does his mind immediately go? Have you talked to Aaron Rodgers? I mean, think, th- think what. What does your mind go to in that regard? It's just, have you talked to Aaron Rodgers? I'm thinking, like, in terms of has he congratulated you? Like, hey, man, great to talk to you. His answer was, yeah, we're all good. In other words, <laughs> don't worry. Aaron's not mad. He's not throwing a fit. Like, he's he's cool with this. He signed off on it. It's just, it's such a funny thing that that's, that's where Stenovich went with this question. That's where his mind went in terms of, did you talk to Aaron Rodgers, was... Did you get his approval? And his answer to that was yes. It's just, it's hilarious. And it really just goes to show how much power that man has. I mean, gone are the days when coaches were like gods walking around the locker room, man. Those days are just completely dead. Where you fall in line or I'm going to smack you in the mouth and you're off my team. Like, you, you, you just blindly obey your coaches. You got coaches now who are like, dude, I was so nervous that Rodgers wasn't going to let me be the offensive coordinator. Like, <laughs> what? I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, but that, w- that was such a funny response. I mean, he, yes, we're all good. Like, what do you mean we're all good? What does that even mean? I wasn't asking if we're good. I didn't ask if he signed off on it. I'm just like, is he tired? And maybe that is what he meant, but it's just such a funny and weird response. And I'm not faulting Rodgers or anything or saying he's a diva or anything like that. It's just, it's just funny that that's... That is, and and it really kind of paints a picture of the the organization kind of being on eggshells around Aaron Rodgers. You know, like we got to make sure we call him. We got to, you know, which is probably true because we got in a lot of trouble the one time when, you know, we drafted a quarterback and then we called him like after. And that was, that was a mistake. So I, again, this, this whole coaching thing, it's, it's big news because it's, you know, the only news that's going on right now. But again, come the regular season, I doubt we're going to be talking about this very much. I mean, Bisaccia, we're going to be talking about a ton because the assumption is he's going to be the savior and we're going to have the best special teams unit in the world. And when that doesn't happen, the world is going to come crashing down and everyone's going to be mad and say that this was a stupid hire and it's just going to be overreaction city. What I actually think is going to happen is probably in the preseason, there's going to be like a kick return for a touchdown or some kind of a big thing, and Packer fans are going to lose their mind. And by about week three, we're going to realize, all right, this isn't, this isn't that great. 
Like apparently you can't just hire a coach and then everybody is good at football. But 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 in general, this kind of news probably is not going to be um, that big down the line. And it's not even that interesting now because, again, unfortunately, there really is not a metric for us. Um, and I, I wish I didn't come to this conclusion so that I can keep doing what I used to do, which is like looking at their past performance, which we're going to do with Bisaccia. Don't, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dive into it. But at the conclusion of looking at his numbers, um, my assessment is going to be none of that matters. None of that matters. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Because it just doesn't. Nothing, I, the only thing I know about coaches is that you cannot judge how good they're going to be based on past performance. I know that for a fact. Not to say there's zero correlation, because there's probably some. I mean, you know, bad coaches are bad coaches. So if, if, you, if you're a bad coach and you go somewhere, you probably had a bad record and you're probably going to continue to have a bad record. And you probably have a higher chance of being good if you have been good your whole career, although Patton. But, you know, again, it's, there's probably somewhat of a higher correlation there, but it's such a, a negligible metric that it's really just not even worth mentioning. It's such a waste of everybody's time. I mean, I, w- I was so hard after Jack Del Rio because I just did a deep dive on stats and all this stuff, and, and I came to the conclusion that this guy... Um, was just phenomenal. And maybe he's still phenomenal. I don't know. I haven't really followed up on him. I know he's still hovering around somewhere. Where is Jack Del Rio? DC for the Washington Commanders, son. But yeah, I mean, the, the guy's defenses have been great, so I wanted him. But it, it just, I don't know, man. Again, even if we say that Joe Barry hasn't proven to be much better than Mike Pettin, why would that ever be the result that you would expect? Because based on past performance, Mike Pettin should have this defense top five unquestionably, and we never even got a chance to try to hire um, Joe Barry because the guy, first of all, shouldn't even be in the league because he's a joke. I mean, have you seen his track record? You know, so I, I, I again, it's just, we're going to talk about it because it's what we're here to do and we'll, we'll go over it, but I just, there's just nothing, man. And, and, and I just get so exhausted with going on Twitter and seeing people constantly cite stats and everything else both positive and negative, because it's useless. It's meaningless. And, and everything that makes a good coach a good coach is stuff that happens in the meeting room that we're not privy to, right? It's, it's about you. It's about your personality. There is an element of experience and stuff. But I mean, we got to sit down and have a conversation about, um, about culture. And in order for that to mean anything to me, I have to know what direction the Packers want to go in. I got to know what, what, uh, guys like Bisaccia come in and say, I got to know what the Packers plan is. And, and that's what a lot of it is, is um, shared vision, right? The Packers are looking at it saying, this is the direction we need to go in. And as a result, we need to find a person who has these values, this vision, this experience, this, 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 this. And so our checkbox is very simple. Have you been successful in the past? The Packers checklist is like, six pages long and past experience or not experience, but past success might not even be a checkbox. If it is, it's on like page uh, five. So we're kind of just playing our own little game over here of, you know, past success metrics. And the Packers just are not interested in that. And again, Matt LaFleur never would have gotten a job here. And you can debate that and be like, well, no, he was really good with quarterbacks in the past and the Rams were good, but it's hard to gauge that. Because he was the quarterback, uh, you know, he was the quarterback coach for Matt Ryan when he won MVP, and that's cool. 
But Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator that put together that offense that made it really, really easy for Matt Ryan to operate and all that kind of stuff. And let's not forget that also includes a head coach who is involved in that. And the same with the Rams, right? It's Sean McVay's offense. And so the real test is when he went to Tennessee, because that's when he gets to be the guy calling plays. And it was a failure. Their offense went backwards. And that was like Derrick Henry's breakout year. And they went backwards. Now, there were circumstances and all that. But again, there's, there's no data that says he's going to be great. I mean, you can, make an excuses for, you can make excuses for why you're bad, but that doesn't make you good, right? So it, it's like if, if you ran a 40, you're a wide receiver, and you run like a 480, and it's like, yeah, but I got a, I got a bad ankle. Well, that doesn't mean you run a 425. It just means you're probably faster than a 480, but it doesn't mean you're fast, and I'm not going to draft you. Well, because he's fast. How do you know he's fast? Well, he ran a 480, but he had a bum, bum ankle. Well, what does that mean? It's the same thing with Matt LaFleur and while his quarterback was hurt, and we built an offense around a tight end that was hurt for the entire season. Okay, what did you do that was good? Well, I mean, not much, but I have excuses for why we were bad. Does that count for anything? Again, there was Derrick Henry who kind of broke out, but a lot of people don't want to give Matt LaFleur that credit either. Anyways, let's get over to... Um, the video of Mr. Butkus, who seems like a pretty, I mean, if you're looking for an offensive line coach, I don't know that you're looking for anything other than um, Mr. Butkus. I mean, he's just, first of all, he, he, he bears the name and it, you, you just listen to him talk and you look at the guy and it's like, yeah, that, that dude's a Butkus for sure. And, and you can, I mean, it's just, it's genetics with this guy. I mean, he, he, he may have never lifted a weight in his entire life and has had an office job and just eats like cheeseburgers and ice cream. And if him and I got into it in a bar, he would pick me up and throw me through a wall. He's just a bear of a human being. But anyways, anyways we're going to kick it off again with the same question. What's going to change now? Let's see how drastically things are about to change. Ready? Here we go. Luke, what changes? Because I've been in practice. Adam would take half the line. You take the other half. The on-the-field stuff, I don't see how that could change a great deal. What changes when you are the offensive line? Coach? Well, we're going to just keep sending as far away as possible. <laughs> you know, we, we got a lot of corrections to make. No, th- there's no, nothing's going to change. We're going to have David, we're going to have everybody just be a part of this thing and lead from the front. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to be along for the ride. You know, the, we have Sorry, such a wasn't veteran done. group, uh, a group of guys that it makes it easy to be a coach because they're, they're such pros that they do everything that you ask them to do and more. Last. All right, now he's done. So... <laughs> Again, and a part of it is just kind of being humble. Obviously, the guy's going to be working and burning the midnight oil and all that stuff, and he's he's going to be working hard. And I, there's no question in my mind he he's he's downplaying it a bit. However, his answer was literally nothing is going to change. <laughs> that was literally his answer, and he even went so far as to say, "I'm just happy to be along for the ride." So, and and there is an element of that's that's true. And people were freaking out about the quarterback uh, court quarterback coach or whatever. And it's like, let's be completely honest. And I understand Jordan Love is, is a factor here too, but what is a quarterback coach teaching Aaron Rodgers at this point? Same with offensive line. I mean, they've got a lot of work to do in terms of game planning and, and there's some coaching and obviously there's young guys that need stuff, but how critical is your offensive line coach to David Bakhtiari's success? And I'm sure you get Coach Hawn on here. He's probably throwing his phone across the room listening to me say this. But, I mean, realistically, if you just fired all the offensive line coaches, he could survive. I think he would be fine. Um, Billy Turner could could make it work. Again, there's a lot that goes into game planning and all these other details and everything else. But um, 
you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, they know how to play offensive line. They know what they're doing. And it's going to come down to execution. These guys will help them refine, and they'll help them to um, to be better at these things and try to put them in a position to succeed kind of thing, which is not just on Butkus. That falls on Stenovich, and it falls on Matt LaFleur and doing things like with um, the past season with all the injuries, right? Finding ways to help the offensive line, whether that be bringing, helping with tight ends and running backs or just getting the ball out quicker. But again, that was a team effort. And still, it, it, it really just came down to game planning around the offensive line. But for the offensive lineman, it came down to execution. You, you go out and do the best you can do, but we're going to have a fail-safe called get the ball out of your hand as quickly as possible because we, we just please, please do that. <laughs> so it is kind of funny, and it should give us some reason to, um, to be at peace and recognize that we're in good hands. The offensive line is not going to fall apart because Stenovich has taken his eye off of the offensive line, and he's the whole reason that this thing was working, and Butkus is not as good, and so now our offensive line is going to fall apart and all that. I mean, again, this is how we dramatize things. I'm not saying you're doing that necessarily, but in general, that's kind of how we we assume that they they do so much. And I think there is a good amount in terms of, of how you practice and what you practice and what you emphasize and, and, and again, the game planning and all that. But I think once... Once the coin toss happens, it's really execution, right? And and these these guys just got to go out and, and and execute. Anyway, skipping around a little bit, uh, he was asked the question about our center. So anytime you get an opportunity to listen to one of your coaches talk about one of your players, especially a guy like Josh Myers, who is obviously promising, obviously someone that you hope can be a very good football player, but was injured, so we didn't get a full look at him. Um, you want to hear what they have to say, so here's what he had to say. Luke, let's talk about your current center, Josh Myers. Comes in, starter from day one, unfortunately misses a lot of the regular season. That kid looks like a keeper. What do you think? Yeah, what a stud. And he's from Ohio State. We'll, we'll forgive him for that. But, I mean, big, strong, tough. What, do you, what else do you look for in an offensive lineman? He's smart, he's strong, he's tough, and he's a big center. Um, a great kid. And he hasn't even begun to scratch the surface yet. Luke, you came up. I mean, that's, again, it was, it's, it's all mostly vague, right? It's all kind of coach speak type stuff, but um, it's still what we want to hear. And, I, and I, I, again, coach speak doesn't mean lying necessarily. Matt LaFleur lies. That's true. When, when Matt LaFleur is asked about Justin Fields and says he's a great quarterback, he's lying, right? He, you could ask him about the worst player in football, and he'd be like, oh, he's, he's a great player, and we got we to gotta draw up a special plan for him because he is uniquely talented. Right, you ask him about a practice squad player that's not even playing in this game, be like, dude, that guy? You better watch out for that guy. If they activate him for this game, we're done. We're going to lose. We'll just forfeit right there on the spot. So he lies, but generally, Coach Speak is not lying. Coach Speak is just saying things that don't really mean anything. So when, when, when they say things that are specific, especially in this kind of a way, you know, it's with the passion and enthusiasm that he says it. General Coach Speak in terms of, you know, he's actually not that good of a player, would sound like, you know, Josh, uh, we thought he did some good things. You know, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to uh, to get him out there enough. He didn't get the reps that he needed. But when he was out there, we thought he did a good job. You know, we, we like him. He's, he's a big physical guy. And uh, we think he's going to be good for us for many years. That's coach speak that tells me nothing and kind of makes me maybe a little bit nervous. In other words, that's coach speak that says he didn't have a great year, but we're hopeful that he doesn't suck next year. This was very obvious in terms of First of all, he's perfect for what we want here, which take a note on that when you're looking for what the Packers are interested in. Granted, every team's kind of looking for that, but big, tough, physical, smart, which makes sense for this kind of offense. Because keep in mind, you can say that every team's going to say that, but not necessarily. 
some teams, and, and you would even say some teams just in terms of the Green Bay Packers would be as well with the outside zone. You need the athleticism. But you look at, uh, for example, the Minnesota Vikings getting a center that is kind of smaller and more athletic. I don't think the Packers are going to do that. They're not going to shy away from athleticism because you want guys that can, you know, hurry up to the next level, all that kind of good stuff. But I think this is a team that is committed to big, tough physical. If I have to choose between a smaller, more athletic guy that can kind of help get to that next level or kind of a lumbering road grader, I think they go with the road grader. Probably wouldn't be a first, second, third round pick, but if we're talking sixth round and I have to choose between those two attributes, I think they're going, well, we've seen that. I mean, look at the guys that they've got in the sixth round. They get big, tough, physical brawlers, generally speaking. But then to go on to say, you know, he's just scratching the surface, which again, makes sense. Because although he wasn't on Feldman's freak list or anything, he does check all the boxes in terms of intelligence and physicality. And uh, he's one of the, the main guys where you look at a coach like Butkus and Stenovich and say, this is where you can really do some great work. This is where, you know, he's, he's just a guy looking for tools and you just try to throw as many things and as, as much at him as you can to get that to stick. Bakhtiari maybe doesn't need it as much, but Josh Myers is just, he's just a pile of potential just sitting there. And we saw that with Elton Jenkins, right? You see in his first year sort of just moments of brilliance. And I think maybe he was even partially inflated, but, but it was allowed because the moments of brilliance gave you hope that this guy could be something really special. And then obviously in year two, not including the injury, but he's, he goes over to left tackle. He's even better at left tackle than he is a guard. He's just an absolute freak. And it's like, all right, well, I guess it was warranted. And I, I'm, I'm getting those vibes from Josh Myers, and I don't mean to compare them because obviously it's uh, kind of silly to compare anybody to Elton Jenkins just based on versatility. But there is a similar vibe in terms of excitement based on the, the highs, um, sort of a general disregard for maybe not some of the lows. Because I think most people are looking at it and going, yeah, but his, his, his highs and what he does best, um, I'm more than content with he made a couple mistakes. And I think he fits the culture perfectly. I think he's going to be a good center in terms of intelligence, but also just the fact that we do need the offense to get better from a pass blocking, but especially a run blocking standpoint. And I think he's built for that. I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, he, he needs to learn a little bit. But when he gets into it, I mean, he's, he's going to be kind of similar to Corey Lindsley in terms of just being a brute. And when he can turn that on, he's just going to be throwing people around. But anyways, but anyways, that's all I got for uh, Butkus in terms of what I wanted to share. I, I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, um, I don't know what the future holds. And again, we'll get into specifics and all that, looking at uh, our new special teams coach and tight ends coach and all that. But I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. Again, I've, I've talked about Stenovich and the fact that I think if, I think he's the right guy for the job. I just think he's built for this. I think he probably has, and maybe even more so than Hackett. And I don't, listen, Hackett is probably more of an offensive mind, like a well-rounded, experienced offensive mind than Stenovich is. But again, if you're looking for a guy that just is on the same wavelength as Matt LaFleur in terms of how an offense should operate, in terms of what I want this offense to look like, in terms of understanding on, at, at a molecular level in his DNA, he is this system. And, and Hackett nece- wasn't necessarily. I mean, he did some West Coast stuff, um, different breed of West Coast, but he did some West Coast stuff in Jacksonville. But that was kind of a carryover from what they were doing before. Before that, I believe he was an Eric Coriel guy, which is a very different style of offense. So again, he's very well-rounded, very intelligent and all that. But you know, again, if, we're, if we are looking for like a Matt LaFleur clone and... Um, and a guy that's really just understands it. I just, I, I'm excited about it. I think he's a, a great hire. And on top of that, 
we kind of had, I don't want to say two Steneviches because even Butkus would say that I'm, I'm not on that guy's level, but the fact that he stays in the building and we've got a guy that's done a great job on the offensive line who's had an entire year to stand side by side with Stenovich now gets to take over the offensive line. I have complete control or complete control. I have complete confidence in Butkus doing that job. I have complete confidence in Stenovich as an offensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur is still our head coach. I mean, all everything is is falling into place. The only question really is the tight ends coach, the soon-to-be quarterback coach, which I don't super care about. Maybe that's a stupid thing to say, but I, I just don't. can elaborate on that on the other side of the break because I do want to take a break. And our special teams coach, which I, I think I share a similar sentiment to what a lot of other people say, which is if we're just mediocre, I'm fine with it. I think if we expect the top five special teams unit, we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. Not that it's impossible, but it's extremely unlikely. But, you know, I'm, I'm good with it. So I'm, I'm kind of just at peace with everything. I think everything's kind of fallen into place. Obviously, these are all just coaching things. We got to see how the team falls into place. And that's, there's some major pieces to fall in line. And we're not going to have answers on a lot of this stuff for quite a long time. Um, I do expect an answer from Aaron Rodgers relatively soon, but I'm, I'm about 90% certain he's coming back to Green Bay at this point. So I mean, if he doesn't, then we got a lot of work to do in terms of figuring out what the heck is going to happen from here on out. Um, and I, I suppose I'm a little ashamed. I, I'm not ashamed. I, I, why should I be ashamed? I'm, I'm excited at that prospect. And I know people are going to be mad at me because, you know, how could you be excited about it? Because there's, there's, there's different parts of me. The part of me that acknowledges that we have a much better team with Aaron Rodgers and we're probably going to be a pretty bad team without him definitely wants him back and his confidence is going to be back and is sad as if, if he's gone. But the part of me that is just in love with the game of football and and the process of building a team and 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 all the picks and all the just the new direction and all that, just the 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 romanticism of it, if I can continue to use that word throughout the podcast, it excites me. It does. I mean, it's the same thing as the draft, right? The draft is it doesn't really mean much. You don't really get much contribution from draft picks early on, but man, is it exciting when you just daydream about it for months and months and months, right? When they actually get on the field, who cares? But man, the, 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 the process and the buildup and, and the planning and the thought behind it and all that, it's just, it's fun and it's exciting. And, and, and uh, I guess I'm, uh, I'm okay with it. I'll just put it that way. So I just want an answer and we'll deal with it when it comes. But I am extremely confident that he's coming back. To the Packers, that is, not coming back and demanding a trade or whatever nonsense everyone's insisting is going on out there. Call it nonsense. Go ahead and clip this for when he asks for a trade, and then you can call me stupid. That's fine. I'm used to it. Anyways, we do have to take a break, and we're going to do that right about now-ish. I want to real quick tell you about A Modern Frontier, amodernfrontier.com. My buddy Adam is uh, selling meat because uh, he's just living my best life. It's actually not my best life. He, he has to work hard and stuff. My best life is buying his product while sitting on my butt doing a podcast uh, for a living. But uh, we'll see who ends up to get to, you know, follow their dream sooner or whatever. It's going to be him. Spoiler alert. But I, I, I do have to tell you, when he delivered my box of meat to me in person, because he's cool like that, he told me that everybody was ranting and raving about the hot dogs. I, it's, it's a box of beef. And I'm like, I, first of all, why are there even hot dogs in here? That's stupid. But I didn't even want to try it. But my daughter was asking for hot dogs. I'm like, you know what? I actually got some hot dogs. They're beef hot dogs, which are way better than pork hot dogs, but I didn't expect them to actually be very good. I don't know why. I just figured, you know, it's, it's, they don't know how to make hot dogs. This place over here in Wisconsin that just like makes stuff. Dude, listen to me. If you like Chicago style hot dogs, if you like the all beef, like Portillo's dogs, th- this is it. That's what this, that it, it tastes that's what it tastes like. That's exactly what it is. It's probably a little bit better. It's a little bit more flavorful than what you get at Portillo's. I was freaking shocked. 
And so I have been binging hot dogs for a while now. Me and my daughter, uh, my middle daughter, have been just wolfing down <laughs> hot dogs. I made my second package of hot dogs just yesterday. By the way, I'm going to mention sous vide again because that's a perfect way to cook these things. I sear them after, but it's completely unnecessary. But I'm, dude, I'm telling you, I, I hate to sell a box, you know, it's not the greatest selling point to be like, hey, there's a box with steaks and stuff in it, but let me tell you about these hot dogs. But I don't know what else to tell you, man. As somebody who grew up in Illinois and was obsessed with Portillo's and just loved a good Portillo's hot dog, I mean, this, this is it, man. And if you live in Wisconsin and don't have access to that readily, which I don't, I mean, there's a Portillo's out there somewhere. I've never been there. I don't know why. I just don't stop there, but I still miss it a lot. It's unbelievable. And the box, there's like six packages of six of these. So I'm set on hot dogs for a very long time. But there's other stuff in there too, you know, ground beef, burgers, steaks. I've got this massive prime rib that I'm saving until the absolute last moment. And I'm going to make that and it's going to be glorious. But uh, head over to amodernfrontier.com. Use promo code MEATPACKER. That's uh, all caps, one word. You can put an S on it if you want. Shouldn't make a difference. You can do either one, MEATPACKER or MEATPACKERS, so long as it's one word, all caps. You're going to get $25 off your order, which is pretty substantial because it's not actually that expensive. The price is actually extremely reasonable. And again, it's going to be that's that price includes shipping. It includes the processing. It imp- includes everything. So go check it out if you have any questions in terms of will you deliver to my region or whatever. Just, uh, just send Adam a message. He'll get right back to you. But... Um, I'd love it if you give him a chance. Also, please do not forget about Drew. He's got his GoFundMe set up, um, trying to get his seizure service dog. Thank you very much to Jules for jumping in on that. Um, I'm actually considering setting up a separate fund. I just saw on PayPal they have a way where you can like you know uh, set up donations. I know there's a good amount of people, uh, especially now. There's some controversy around GoFundMe. Some people are refusing to donate there, even though you can donate without giving GoFundMe any of the money. That's an option after the fact. But even still, some people don't want to utilize it. So I may fund on the side for Drew. I don't really know. But just to be able to give options outside of GoFundMe for those of uh, for those people who are very anti-GoFundMe, which I understand. But uh, if you're not, then uh, be sure to check that out. You can find it. It is my pinned tweet at the top of my tweeter, pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break and we'll be right Back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I just I just had something occur to me that I think I want to start doing. Um, it's not really a deep dive, and it's not spending a lot of time on it, but it's something I want to do every day. I should save it until after so we can continue on with the coaching stuff, but I know for a fact I'm going to forget. So um, what I think I'd like to do is mock draft of the day. Not me doing a mock draft. It's just here is a mock draft that was done. Here's who was picked for the Packers. It's kind of a way of seeing what's going on out there in the draft community. So um, PFF, I just did this because I was going over there so I can look at a couple different things for uh, Bisaccia. Which, by the way, it just now dawned on me how very close we are to... Um, I mean, there's a lot you can do with that last name. I mean, dude, huh. I shouldn't say it because someone's going to steal it, but that's there are some t-shirt opportunities with that last name. Life's a Bisaccia, right? I mean, it's, it's, come on. I mean, what what's the first thing that should come out of your mouth on a punt return when our guy muffs the punt and the, the other team recovers it. Son of a Bisaccia. I mean, son of a Bisaccia, right? Anyways, I got to use my button today, so we can move on. Um, anyways, PFF did a mock draft, so we might as well look at it. I'm not going through the whole thing, but at pick 28, the Green Bay Packers select tackle Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa. Here's what they had to say. While the Packers' needs could drastically change before the draft, they could use a tackle. At six foot seven, 321 pounds, Penning is a monster who is extremely physical in the run game. He will need to clean up his anchor and pass protection against more physically dominant edge rushers in the NFL, but he has exciting potential for a team that's proven capable of developing offensive linemen. Isn't that the truth? So while we're here, just gonna just gonna go over it. And again, there's gonna be some repetition and all that, but I just I want to continually bathe our minds in this so that we start to get more familiar with draft prospects without making the whole show about the draft because some people don't care. So it's a very non-intrusive way of of making this, um, getting us all caught up to speed here. But as I said, Northern Iowa, Trevor Penning, six foot seven, 321 pounds. The guy is an absolute monster. Um, We talked about him, I think the other day when I went through some different stuff. But uh, 65 overall grade, 62 overall grade, 71 overall grade, and then this year, 97.3. So you know what it was? He was on the Feldman Freak list, because I remember what I was saying was he was looking at him after 2020 with some people saying, hey, you know, guys are starting to turn their heads because he's starting to starting to do stuff. And then he blew up this year with an almost perfect grade, 97.3. He literally had, with, with, so remember, PFF said, uh, what were their words? A monster, extremely physical in the run game. His pass blocking grade was an 87. You know what his run blocking grade was for the year? 99.9 run blocking grade. Now listen, it's Northern Iowa. Um, you know, his highest run blocking grade was against Mo State. 
Uh, after that was Youngtown, Youngstown State, Western Illinois, Illinois State, Eastern Washington, South Dakota. So these are not the, the greatest in the world, but dude, I don't care. You're in college and you get a 99.9 run blocking grade. You're an absolute freak. You gave a one sack for the season this year, um, four hits, six hurries for a grand total of uh, 11 pressures, 98.5 pass blocking efficiency. He has played left tackle um, exclusively for two years. In 2019, he did play left tackle primarily, but he did play nine snaps at right tackle as well as 74 snaps at right guard. And in 2018, actually, he was strictly a right guard. He played 22 snaps there. So he's right guard and then a little bit of right guard in 2019, but mostly left tackle. And that's basically all he's done for for three years. So that is Trevor Penning. That is PFF's pick for the Green Bay Packers at pick 28. Anyways, what we came here for. Actually, why don't we start off with this? Let's look at uh, John Dunn, who is the tight ends coach. And before we uh, get super into this, I just would like to let you know that um, everything you've heard up to this point was from last night. From here on is uh, the part after my computer froze and I lost everything. Or not everything, but, you know, everything after this point. Because I finished this podcast last night, and I'm redoing it now this morning. So um, if I sound a little grumpy or a little sleepy, that's why. But anyways, let's do this again. Looking at John Dunn. There's, there's, I'm, first of all, I'm pretty excited about John Dunn. I, I don't want to just be a homer and be like, every pick is a great pick. Every coach, blah, blah, blah. But again, considering we don't know anything... And considering you know my stance on I don't really care what your past history was, granted, I would love if you have a great history, really what we're left with is sort of a spectrum. And on one end, you've got experience and everything that comes with that. And on on the other end, you've got the young up-and-comers, right? John Dunn is one of the young up-and-comers. He's similar to what I said with some of the Vikings guys. They're very fast risers, seemingly anyways. Kind of a weird path. Um, he did start off as a player, but got started as a coach in 2011, which you know was not a very long time ago. From 2011 to 2015, he was the tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator at Maryland. Um, I don't exactly know what happened between 2015 and 2018, so 2016 and 2017. But in 2018, the uh, old head coach of Maryland got the job over at UConn, and he wanted to bring John Dunn along and actually made him his offensive coordinator. So 2011 to 2015, tight end coach and recruiting coordinator. 2018, he's the offensive coordinator for UConn. Apparently does a good enough job that the Jets take notice and are like, all right, let's bring this guy on. So the Jets bring him into the NFL. He is the tight ends coach. Now, I hate to be that guy um, because, again, it's, it's hard to put all the credit on one guy. But, you know, you look at the tight ends for the Jets in the span that he was there, and you notice some certain blips that take place. In other words, did he seem to do a good job with the Jets? I think he did. So in in 2019, um, well, let's back it up. In 2018, they had Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon was a uh, pretty solid tight end for the Jets. Um, In 2019, however, he ended up getting hurt. The solution to this for the New York Jets was to um, bring in Ryan Griffin. Now, Ryan Griffin was a pretty long-time Houston Texans guy. And again, this might be a little bit of a reach, but excluding his first year, which was his best year, I just want to read his grades and you tell me which one you think is 2019, which was his first year with the Jets. 52, 55, 57, 58, 55, 62, 56, 55. It was the one that was 62. 
So the point is, he left Houston, he came over to the Jets, and he was kind of the top guy that year because their top guy was hurt. So he was kind of forced into that role, and he had basically his best year of his career since his first year with Houston. This is a guy who his um, highest grade in all those years that I listed outside of his one year with the Jets, well, he had more than one year with the Jets, but his one year um, with Dunn, in which he was a starter, was a 58.9 with Houston in 2017. He comes here, is a starter, and uh, gets a 62 overall grade. So that's not great, but it's making something out of nothing, right? The point isn't necessarily, is this person an elite person? It's how much did you over or underperform based on your abilities under this person? Then in 2020, Chris Herndon came back, and Herndon did not do well. So he did well as a rookie. Um, he uh, In 2020, in his return, so as a rookie, he was a 75 overall. When he came back in 2020, he was a 57. Um, however, a couple things. Number one, he actually got even worse the next year under Minnesota. He dropped down to a 52. Secondly, when you look at his production, his grades, his, his arrow just went straight up. So to start the season, it was 50, 40, 75, 50, 51, 47, 54, 36, 55. The second half of the season, 74, 61, 57, 58, 71, 70, 72. So there was improvement, right? Remember, he took it in the entire year off prior. He comes back. He's not having a good go of it, but he got better as the year went on. He progressed. On top of that, they had some pretty solid contribution from a uh, no-name undrafted free agent uh, by the name of Daniel Brown. He didn't play a ton, but he still had a 78 overall grade, which is pretty solid. So the point is, there's not a lot of information here, and I don't want to lean too heavily on, well, look at how good these guys in that position did, because that's kind of flimsy. But either way, he was cast out with the staff when a new staff came in, and the Green Bay Packers decided, you know what? We lost a couple guys and, and have some open positions. Why don't we bring him in? And essentially, the, the, I think the thought process is for guys like this, there seems to be something here. There seems to be a baseline level of talent, but the experience is really minimal and it's really scattered, right? He did tight ends and recruiting in college for several years. Then he had like one random year as an offensive coordinator, and then two years again as a tight ends guy at a garbage franchise with pretty subpar tight ends. Let's bring him in and put him into an analyst role. And the analyst role is great because it's, it's basically, if you want a massive crash course in how this all works, that's the job you want. Um, in terms of, of how the NFL works, in terms of what we need to see, what we're looking for, what information do we need. A crash course in our offensive system as well as defensive. I mean, just top to bottom, just blasting you with a massive amount of we need all this data and you need to go find it for us and how we look at data and all that stuff. And the bottom line is he passed the test. Apparently in one year, he did a good enough job to where the Packers decided rather than, you know, go outside of the building, they want to give this guy a shot. We need a new tight ends coach. He's got tight ends, tight end experience. And it's kind of perfect because, again, we basically spent a year getting him caught up to speed with how all this works. And so now he's a, a young, ascending guy, real bright, who has experience with tight ends for, you know, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 20, or no, whatever. doesn't matter. I think it was 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. What the heck is it? Yeah, 11 through 15. 
So that was five years, plus two years with the Jets. So he's got seven years of tight end experience. He's got one year of just massive crash course in, you know, NFL data, Matt LaFleur offense data. And so let's take the training wheels off and, and see if he can see if he can get us there. So I'm pretty excited about that. And again, with a lot of these types of positions, I, I really generally like a lot of turnover. And maybe that's the wrong way to look at it because the, the NFL roster itself has a decent amount of turnover. And so if you get the best possible guy, then when you get the new guys coming in, you got the best possible guy training up the new guys in, you know, getting up to speed and everything else. But at the same time, for the guys that have already been there, it's nice to get a fresh set of eyes. You know, you, you bring a certain set of tools and experience and you bring that to these positions and you teach them those tools and everything you know. And bringing a new, a, a new guy in is just going to bring in a new perspective. And like I said before, you're not losing um, everything you learned from the last guy. You carry that with you. You just add more to your toolbox because this new guy is coming in teaching you new stuff, you know, showing you things from a different perspective that you haven't seen before. I mean, that's, that's where guys like David Bakhtiari can continue to grow. There's always little nuggets out there. There's always little things that, that you know, you can learn from, from other guys, other players, other coaches. So anyways, um, finally, the most interesting hire of all of this is Mr. Basakia. Um, again, we'll look at all the information here. And um, at the end of it, I will tell you that it doesn't really matter, at least as far as what I'm about to tell you in terms of his record. But again... I do like the hire because if, if, well, let's do this first and then we'll do the summary, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm at least content with it. I just, I think the hype is a little bit too much, but I also think we're kind of getting to the point where like the anti-hype is, is getting to be a little bit too much. So I don't exactly know where to fall in all that. Should be somewhere in between. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a smart hire, but it's not, you know, he's not a savior because nobody is. Let me also start with this. Nah, no, 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 let's just do it. Let's do it. I'm just trying to avoid the grunt work because I did all this already and it's like, ugh, I don't want to go through this again. All right, so starting off with the Raiders and we'll do PFF first uh, because they have slightly different perspectives in terms of uh, good and bad. Uh, his DVOA rank is definitely more flattering than his PFF, but um, again, we'll just whatever you prefer to look at, here's all the data you need to know. So starting in 2021, and I know he was the interim head coach, but he was still interim head coach slash special teams coordinator for the times in which he wasn't basically just the special teams coordinator. The Las Vegas Raiders did have a 76 overall grade, but they ranked 22nd. In 2020, the Las Vegas Raiders had a 72.4 overall grade, but ranked 24th. In 2019 with the Raiders, uh, there was he had a 51.3 overall grade and ranked 31st. So... Um, almost dead last. And for reference, the Packers that year were 24th. So the Packers had a better special teams unit than Basakia's Raiders did. So yeah, I did it again, Basakia. And in his first year with the Raiders, uh, 64.6 overall grade, ranked 20th. So in the entire time that he was with the Raiders, the special teams over there was never good. And uh, DVOA will largely concur with that conclusion. Not entirely, but largely. The Raiders special teams was just not good. It's also worth noting, the year prior to Bisaccia being there, the Raiders special teams had an 81.4 overall grade and ranked third. So they had the third best special teams unit. For whatever reason, that guy leaves, probably got hired away, or the staff got fired and the, that guy went with him, whatever the case. Uh, Bisaccia is hired to come in and the Raiders special teams completely falls off tanks and never really recovers. 
So that's additional bad news about the whole situation. However, some slightly good news. That same year, which was his last year with Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys special teams ranked 7th with a 78 overall grade. The year prior to that in Dallas with Pisaccia, unfortunately, though, they ranked 28th with a 60 overall grade. In 2015, they ranked 22nd with a 62.3 overall grade. In 2014, they were 15th with a 59.8 overall grade. And then finally, in uh, 2013, Dallas ranked 9th with a 62.0 overall grade. And again, there's not, there's not a lot of agreement on this between um, football outsiders and PFF, other than the first and last years were kind of the best years in Dallas. I think the in-between um, PFF was pretty low on the unit. DVOA was relatively high. And I cannot go any further back with PFF looking back into Tampa and San Diego and all that stuff because PFF didn't track special teams that far back. But that is as far as PFF will go, which is to say he had a couple good years in Dallas, which were his first and and last years. Otherwise, he lived in the 20s. His special teams units were subpar every year, and uh, there were one or two years where it was just downright terrible. So that's it. Now, um, I just want to say for reference here, looking when we switch over to DVOA, the Packers obviously rank 32nd, but just bear in mind, negative 5.2 is what their DVOA was, just for reference. So remember, DVOA, zero is average. Um, When you look at any percentage, if it says 5%, that means 5% better. This is saying that the special teams unit for the Green Bay Packers in 2021 was 5.2% worse than your average special teams. Oh, excuse me, unit. Looking at the Raiders... Um, again, Bisakia was there from 2018 through 2021. Starting in 2018, the DVOA, negative 1.6, negative 2.3, 1.5, and negative 1. The ranks are 22nd, 25th, 13th, and 21st. So in 2020, according to DVOA, it was actually an above average unit. But for context, they still ranked 13th, which is to say pretty average. Now, I'm sure most Packer fans are content that, you know, if we could just be average, that would be great. And I'm fine with that. But, but two points on that. Number one, he was average once out of four years. Man, I sneezed and I just forgot what number two was. <laughs> just literally sneezing information out of my brain. The heck was I going to say? I don't know. I feel like about 70% of the time when I say, you know, two things or three things or whatever, I'm going to forget one of them. I got a better shot if I say two, because it's only two, but it's still, like, you know, still about 50-50. I'm going to remember both of them. I told you, man, my memory is just broken. It just doesn't work at all. It's garbage. It's useless. Even hyper short term. <laughs> two things. Here's one. Also, I just, I don't know what I was going to say. Going back to um, Dallas now, again, 2013 through 2017, the DVOA in those years, um, 3.4, 0. 0.9, 1.8, 1.6, and 4.6. So according to DVOA, um, they were above average units every single year. Even 2014, 0.9, that's still above average. Uh, 2012, 0.2 is basically as average as you can get, but it's still technically above. Uh, the ranks in those years, 15th, 8th, 13th, 11th, uh, 9th, and 7th. So again, Packer fans would love any of this. I think the Raiders still make me nervous because that's what's most recent. And some guys, you know, they get older and they get less useful. I don't know that that's a scientific theory that I just put out there, but it is, you know, the NFL will pass you by a little bit. 
So it makes you nervous. It's a, but solid enough. On top of that, it's also worth noting that in 2011, the year prior to him being there, they ranked 25th with a negative 2.1. He shows up, and they're 15th. So it was their worst year. They ranked 15th with a 0.2. So he instantly improves it. But also, that was the, the worst year he had. And since then, it was just it was better than that every single year. The year after he left, so they were 7th with a 4.6% DVOA. The very next year, they ranked 23rd with a negative 2.1. And the year after that, they're 30th with a negative 3.9. Now, they did bounce back after that. But the special teams unit improved when he showed up and fell apart after he left. So I think he does get a pretty solid amount of credit for the work he did in Dallas. Going back to his years with the Chargers in 2011 and 2012, um, special teams was a negative 1.6 and a 3. So one year that was subpar, ranking 23rd, and then the very next year uh, a 3 DVOA, which is relatively high, and ranking 8th. Again, though, worth noting, 2010, the year prior to him showing up, 32nd ranked unit, negative 10.2. Remember, the Packers... Or negative 5 territory, negative 10.2. Can you even fathom how bad that must have been? Negative 10.2. He shows up, and you look at it and go, negative 1.6, that's trash. Dude, compared to a negative 10.2, do you know how much of a massive improvement that is? 10.2% worse than your average unit, and then they go up to negative 1.6, and then the very next year they're 3.0, and then he gets hired away um, to a new team. And again, they start to fall off. In fact, after he left, it, it just it, it fell off and never recovered. Um, so it was at negative 10. He shows up. It goes up to negative 1.6, ranking uh, 23rd. Then the next year, they rank 8th with a 3% DVOA. Then he leaves. They rank 15th with 0.8, so they're falling again. Then 23rd with a negative 2.7. Then 31st with a negative 5.3, negative 4.8, negative 7.5, negative 2.8, negative 5.1, negative 11.8 in 2020, which is somehow worse than 2010, which is twice as bad, apparently, as the Packers were. And then this past year, negative 2.6. So they've never recovered <laughs> since Passaccia left. And then finally, his time with Tampa Bay, which was a very long stint. It was from 2002 to 2010. Um, just ripping through this really quickly, the DVOA 3.6 negative. So prior to him being there, it was three, 1.7, 0.5. So pretty mediocre to decent. He shows up. It's, uh, 3.6, negative 6.5, negative 4.5, negative 0.3, uh, negative 0.5 and, uh, let's see two more years. So negative 0.5, 3.5, and then negative 0.5 again. So it's just completely all over the map. The ranks are 9th, 32nd, 30th, 19th, 16th, 12th, 18th, 5th, and 18th. So when you come to Tampa, this is kind of when everything kind of comes into focus. You look at the Raiders and go, dude, this guy sucks. And then you look at Dallas and go, he's pretty good. Then you look at the Chargers and go, yeah, it's pretty solid again. Then you look at Tampa and go, I have no idea. I have no idea what this means. Right, he's he goes from eighth to thirty second to sixth to fifth to that up and down and bad and good and bad and good. Why? Why? Well, I I have to think it's because of the players, right? I mean, you can only do so much. So here's my ultimate summary on Bisaccia. Bisaccia raises raises the floor, but his ceiling is dependent on how good of a job the Packers do in supplying him with talent. Bisaccia has been doing special teams since 1983. 
This has been his job since 1983, three years prior to me even being born. Wayne stayed in 1983 uh, through 1987. Then uh, South Carolina, 1988 to 1990. Uh, actually, 1993, he just keeps getting different jobs. Clemson, 94 to 98. Ole Miss to 99 uh, through 2001. Then Tampa, 2002 through 2010. Then San Diego or the Chargers from 2011 to 2012. Dallas, 2013 to 2017. Raiders, uh, 2018 through 2021. And now the Packers in 2022. This guy lives and breathes special teams. There is not a single thing that he doesn't understand about special teams. If there is a person on the entire planet that you want to teach you about special teams, it's Bisaccia. And so a couple things here, and then we're going to quit before my computer tanks out on me again. It's something that happens like once every three months, but once it happens, it's like it's going to happen any second. I know it. I can feel it. It's not going to do it now because my computer knows I'm expecting it and I'm saving it every two seconds. Oh, here we go with the two things again. All right. Number one, The reason why this makes the most sense is because on the spectrum of experience versus young and up and coming, you want experience in this situation because there's nobody in the building that really knows special teams. And so if you go get a guy like Mo Drayton and he's struggling, where's he going to go? What's he going to do? Who's he going to lean on? What's he going to do? Go to Matt LaFleur and be like, dude, I'm struggling. I don't know what I'm doing. What should I do? First of all, nobody's ever going to do that. There's no coach. I mean, you probably should, but if you want to put out the uh, impression that you're competent, you're not going to go to other coaches and be like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I thought I was good at this and I thought I knew what to do. I don't know what to do. This sucks and I can't get control of it. Can you please help me? But what's Matt LaFleur going to do? I mean, again, he's, he's a, all these guys are smart guys. I'm sure they know some stuff about special teams, but these aren't special teams guys. You are the guy, right? If you're talking offense, there's a lot of guys in the building that understand offense. There's a ton of guys in the building that can help you. Special teams, you're the guy. You're the one that's supposed to understand it. And so there's a lot that goes into special teams, and there's not a lot that goes into special teams from a team standpoint. In other words, you need to know a lot, but you don't have a lot of resources. You're being handed scrap players, but you still have to operate the same way that these, the offense and defense does, but with less help from coaches and from analysts and from players and from the GM and from everything else. You have less support. So you have to do as much with less of everything. And so we need a guy that just understands from the ground up what is expected and really needs to help support the team because guys like Matt LaFleur don't know. I need you to tell Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst what we need. It's not that they're not willing to be committed to at least some degree, and that's going to be point number two we'll touch on. But if we're going to be committed, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? So there's an element of we need a guy that at least understands, you know, we need to have 11 guys on the field. And I know that's kind of a low blow cheap shot, but really, that is a coaching thing. I mean, there was a clip going around of Bisaccia counting the guys on the field and everyone's kind of making jokes about it. And wow, what a low standard we have that even that is impressive. But at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's again, it, Bisaccia raises the floor. He's not going to have the wrong person in the wrong spot blocking. We're not going to have, or at least we shouldn't have situations where Coach Hahn comes on my show and says, you better clean this up or somebody's going to block it. And the only guy that doesn't see it, um, including opposing special teams coaches, is Mo Drayton, is our special teams coordinator. the only guy that doesn't notice, hey, there's a problem here, and if we don't fix it, there's some, somebody's going to block a kick. That's the kind of stuff Bisacci is going to see. He's going to know how to count beforehand and say, hey, we don't have enough guys on the field. And just getting guys prepared and all that kind of stuff. But also, again, supporting the team, supporting the head coach, player assessment. 
Which guys on this roster are built for what positions? Bisaccia is built for that. If you're talking free agency, if if Brian Gutekunst wants to lean on you a little bit and 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 uh, maybe say, you know, what do you think? You know, we've got a little wiggle room here. We what what do? We, and that's the other thing. What do we even need help with? You tell me. And again, the, the GM needs to know some of these things. The head coach needs to know some of these things. But let's not pretend that that's that's what their specialty is. That's what their expertise is. We need a guy that can tell us that stuff. You see this right here? This over here ain't working too good. If you want this to work good, we need a guy right there. See this spot right here? We need a guy here because he's going to do this and this and this. So if we can get a guy, okay, well, what do we need in that spot? We need a guy like this. All right, let's come in this room. Here's our pro personnel staff. We're looking at bringing in a free agent, right? We've got a spot on the roster we can we can utilize. You know, we can, you know, move this guy off. We got this this random wide receiver sitting here. Um, we like him. We'd like to develop him, but we can bump him down to practice squad, you know, if if need be. He's not really serving a purpose right now. You tell me. So we 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 roll out the plans. We roll out all our our paperwork and all our film and all this stuff, and we say, what about these guys? And he he's going to be able to sit down, pour through that, and say, this guy right here seems to be the guy. All right, let's go get him. You know what I mean? That's what he's going to be able to bring. Things like that. Can he just make? Guys who are not good at football, good at football? Absolutely not. He raises the floor so that you get the best out of the guys that you have. But from there, it really just depends on bringing in the best guys. Now, point number two, and my final point before we get out of here. Somehow, I thought for sure this would be faster because I'm like, I'm just going to, I already know what I'm going to say so I can summarize it quicker and dance around less. We're already three minutes longer than my last one from yesterday. There is a ton of tough talk on Twitter and Facebook about the Packers need to commit to special teams. Unfortunately, that's all it is. It's a lot of tough talk. And it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to pull the trigger on it. The problem is, it's a zero-sum game. Which is to say, if you add to special teams, you take away from somewhere else. If you go out and, again, even with my analogy of bringing someone in on, on, um, through free agency or, or, or picking up guys off the street, what did I say? We have to bump somebody off somewhere else. Somebody else that we like for our offense and defense goes bye-bye so that we can bring in somebody for our special teams because we have roster limits beyond that. This is one of the things I, I kind of picked on Mr. Negative for because within 24 hours, I got these two separate messages. Number one, uh, Mo Drayton and our coaches are a bunch of idiots for putting A.J. Dillon on the field on special team and getting his ribs broken. Within 24 hours, we all also get the message, and this isn't, I'm not just picking on him, this is Packer fans in general, that the Packers should be ashamed of themselves for not committing to special teams and putting more starters on special teams. Um, are you willing to pull the trigger and put A.J. Dillon on the field on special teams so that he can crack his ribs in week three and we lose him for six weeks? Are you going to be the one to pull the trigger on that? Are you the one that's going to, to, to do that? Because again, there's no doubt in my mind if we use our starters, it's going to be better than the backups. It's not a reality that you got some guys that are special teams guys and some guys that are good at like football, football stuff. So just get like your good football guys and then get your guys that aren't very good at football, but they're good at special teams. That's not a reality. I mean, it might be to some degree, but generally the guys who are really good at football are probably going to be pretty good at, at special teams as well. You know, if, if you put Stokes and Jair and Amos and Savage and, uh, Kevin King and, you know, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones and, you know, in various different roles. But you put these guys out there, they're going to crush special teams. The problem is they're going to get injured on special teams and then we don't have them on defense anymore, right? Devontae Adams, MVS, 
you know, some of these, the, the, the tight ends, DeGuara, Mercedes Lewis, I'm sure they could do great things on special teams. And if we just put them on full-time special team, by the way, it also is going to impact their ability to play the, the game that they're in, right? If they're out there sprinting up and down the field every time there's a special teams play and then has to go back on the field for offense or defense, they're going to get more tired. So again, it's easy to have some tough talk about, we got to commit. We need to be drafting guys. Listen, you get maybe seven picks. I think we have like eight or nine in the upcoming draft. We're maybe going to hit on two or three of those picks. Are you going to sacrifice, potentially sacrifice one of the two or three guys that are going to actually upgrade our offense or defense? so that we can get a, a, a guy that can tackle on special teams? You're going to give up a quality linebacker for the next eight years for the Green Bay Packers so that you can get a quality tackler on special teams because they're different guys? I don't know. I'm probably not. I'm not pulling the trigger on any of those things. So what do you do? I'm not putting A.J. Dillon out there and risking losing him for however many weeks on special teams. I'm not passing on the next potential Devondre Campbell so that we can get a gunner. Well, just wait until the sixth and seventh round. Well, that's what they're doing anyways. These are guys with, with you know, certain attributes that, are, that we like, but there's a lot of development and uh, they have special teams potential. I mean, that's, that's literally what they tell these guys who are sixth and seventh round draft picks and undrafted free agents. That's what they tell them. If you want to make the team, make special teams, make a, make a splash on special teams. That's the entire point. But the, the, the entire point is also that we're not committing enough high-level talent. So we're not just talking about sixth and seventh round picks. You're talking about the third round picks and the second round picks like A.J. Dillon, that these guys need to be committed to special teams. But at the same time, you're not saying that. You're only saying that now because special teams is bad. But if special teams is good and then Amos goes out for the season because of a special teams play, suddenly we're mad about something else, how stupid the Packers are and how stupid Bisacci is for committing a guy like Adrian Amos to special teams, right? The, the point is, this is a serious problem, and I do completely understand the Packers' lack of commitment to the special team. Maybe not necessarily the special team's coach, but maybe that just falls on their general opinion that special teams falls largely on players until they saw how bad Mo Drayton was, and we're like, all right, maybe that was a bad theory. But I think that's where this falls. He raises the floor, which, again, he's, he's had special teams that are in the, the 30s, but I think he generally is going to raise the floor. It really is just a matter of what kind of players can we get? And I don't know how we get there. I think we have to get lucky with with some kind of lower end play, you know, get some Trevor Davis types. I know Packer fans didn't really like Trevor Davis all that much, but um, those types of guys who who don't really bring much on offense and are good on special teams. Not that we're intentionally doing that. I mean, our intention was to have them, you know, uh, Jeff Janis. Everybody thought that they, and, and again, I, I said it, go back and find it. Everybody wanted Jeff Janis off the team. Everybody wanted, uh, and th- this is also where I don't take the tough talk seriously. We had guys like Jeff Janis on the roster. He was a special teams ace. That guy was, was a gunner extraordinaire. Everybody wanted him gone. Now all the Packer fans suddenly care about special teams. Why don't you care about, you didn't care back when you wanted all these guys off our roster because they're taking a wide receiver spot. They're useless wide receivers, so get rid of them. That's where the fan base was. Get rid of Trevor Davis because he drops a couple punts. Yeah, but he's also a pretty good returner. Now we're dropping punts and we don't have a good returner. Is that better? I don't think so. Well, no, no. I want a guy that is really good at everything and doesn't make any mistakes. Like an elite player. Like, you know, one that there are like two or three of them in the entire NFL. We want one of those guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Simple enough. We'll just go get that guy. Piece of cake. But... Anyways, that's it. I'm going to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.